0: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 129 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And today, it's 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 a lot of fun. Every once in a while, we meet a guest in mid-transition. That's happened more than once on this podcast. When we recorded this a few months ago, Jason Romano was very happily employed as a producer at ESPN. Yes, the ESPN at their headquarters. And I know a lot of you probably track with him online. He's got a huge social media following. And then literally within the last month announced he was leaving ESPN to head into ministry, which is really cool. So Jason... We're cheering you, man. We really, really are. But what we did was we bottled his brain on his time and tenure at ESPN. So sports fans, you're going to love this. If you don't actually like sports, like I'm, I'm one of like six Canadians who don't watch hockey. I don't know why. Maybe if the Leafs win the Stanley Cup, which has happened when I was two years old, I think, you know, maybe I'll watch. I love Blue Jays. I love the Blue Jays. Absolutely love it. But even if you're not like into sports, you're still going to love this because he talks all about social media. He talks all about integrating his faith at work and about ministry as a Christian in the marketplace. So I know a lot of you are there too, a lot of subscribers. Uh, you don't work at a church. You just care about the church, and you care about leadership, and that's why you listen. So I think you're going to find this fascinating. Anyway, Jason, best wishes on this new chapter in your life. Hey, if you're looking for a new chapter, remember Rethink Leadership happens April 26th to 28th in Atlanta. And we've got an incredible lineup of speakers, including Bob Goff, Judd Wilhite, Les McEwen from Predictable Success, Kara Powell, Nicole Fulgham Baker, and many more. Reggie Joyner, John A. Cuff, and myself are going to be there. Brad Lominick. It's, it's going to be incredible. Um, there are a few tickets left, but not many. And you want to check it out now at RethinkLeadership.com and make sure you join us in Atlanta in April. It's going to be incredible. By the way, your Rethink Leadership ticket also buys you full access to the Orange Conference. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's awesome. Bring your team to the Orange Conference. You as a senior leader drop by Rethink Leadership. Also, I know some of you struggle to really train your team, and that's why I'm so excited about Trained Up. They're a partner with us here on the podcast, and they're helping churches literally all over the world train their team. And what they've done is they've taken your physical training, like where you get everybody together on a Saturday or Wednesday night, and like, okay, guest services team or host team or whatever you call them. This is what you're supposed to do. You just record the content and they like upload it for you. And then you can actually see who did the content, who didn't do the content, where people are at, and you have a shot at training. 100% of your volunteers, which like never happens in the real world until now. So if you haven't checked out our partner Trained Up, make sure you go to trainedup.org today. Check that out. It works for small churches, mid-sized churches, large churches, mega churches, literally every size church is using this. And I hope it can help solve a very real problem that almost every church leader faces. Hey, and I don't know what you're up to as you listen to this podcast, some of you are on your commute. some of you are at the gym, maybe you 're out for a run or you 're cooking dinner or you're doing i don't know yard work. It's kind of a weird time of year for that unless you're in a a really great climate. Um, for me, it would be snow blowing. Oh my gosh, if we had a lot of snow this winter, <laughs> it seems to be my part time job. But whatever you're doing, hey, can I just say thank you to all of you who have taken the time when you 're done listening? and who have just decided to leave a rating or review or share this episode or previous episodes with friends because, man, you're getting the word out. I just want to say thank you so much for that. More and more leaders are jumping on board every month. I know we just, like two months ago, celebrated two million downloads. Now we're at two and a half million. And man, I just, can I just say thank you? Thank you for getting the word out because it it really makes a difference. You know, if this is making a difference to you, think about how it can help others. And so you can personally share this on your social media. Uh, we actually have things you can tweet out in the in the show notes if you go to com slash episode 129. Or you can just share the link or, you know, it's easy to share on iTunes or Google Play. Or, you know, leaving a rating and review really does that. So thank you for helping us get out the word. Thank you for letting us serve even more leaders. And uh, I'm really excited about today's interview. So let's jump right into it. And here is my conversation with former ESPN producer, now uh, ministry candidate, Jason Romano. Well, Jason, welcome to the podcast, man. We were just saying we met on social media, right? So it's appropriate that we talk about social media.
1: Of course. Yeah, it's great. Social media has been wonderful to connect with people who I I guess I just never thought I would ever have any kind of relationship with or get to know or anything. Social media has been great. So it's great to talk to you, Carrie.
0: So what was this? Like you tweeted at me, what, three or four years ago?
1: Yeah, I think I read one of your blogs. I'm sorry. I apologize. I don't remember which one. That's but okay. I don't uh, I'm remember sure I read it was a lot. something that resonated with <laughs> that's right. I'm sure it was something that resonated with social media or leadership or something, and it resonated with me enough to want to follow you and connect with you a little bit on, on Twitter and yeah, that's where it started.
0: Yeah, I checked out your bio. It's like ESPN producer, that's kind of cool. That's yeah, a that's a neat job.
1: Yeah, it's a fun job, yeah.
0: I'll bet. So you've had a pretty interesting and exciting career over the last twenty years. That's different from most of the guests we've had on the show. I mean, this is a, a, a podcast for church leaders, some of whom are on staff, but many of whom, like you, you're a church leader, but you yes. work in the marketplace. You work at ESPN during the day, and then you serve at the church on the weekends and, you know, as a, as a Christian, as, you know, a, a person like that. Um, so tell us what you do and uh, tell us where you do it.
1: Yeah, what I do is I, right now I'm a producer at ESPN. Uh, I've been there 16 years here at our headquarters in Bristol, Connecticut, and uh, I've been serving there and and enjoying life there uh, With my wife and I have a daughter who's 12 and we've been here uh, since 2000. So we started in July Uh, It's been a long journey. Yeah, July of 2000 and we've been we've been having I've been having a lot of fun there Um, I currently do Digital and social media for the Mike and Mike in the morning show which is the four-hour morning show that you see on ESPN 2 and you hear on ESPN radio. And I've been on that show now for about uh, a few months, six, seven, eight months or so. And uh, it started in early 2016 with a new assignment back on Mike and Mike. And it's been a blast.
0: Oh, yeah. So what is what is being a producer involve?
1: Uh, It involves a lot of things. Basically, anything that you see on television requires some sort of a producer. Anything you hear on the radio, anything you hear in terms of your podcast, carry requires a producer. Mm -hmm. And a producer can do a variety of things. For me, for my job, I'm producing content for our social and digital platforms. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even Snapchat, things like that. ESPN.com, I'm working in conjunction with their website, to find the proper clips and the proper moments from the show to put on their platforms. So I'm producing that content. I'm also monitoring what people are saying about the show during the show. So when Mike and Mike are on the air, they come on early 6 AM, I'm following Twitter and following Instagram, Facebook. I'm reading the comments. I'm reading tweets coming into the show for our hosts, Mike and Mike, and I'm pulling those and potentially, giving those to the hosts, the ones that I think are the best of the best and having them read them on the air. Uh, I'm just kind of monitoring conversation. What are people saying about certain interviews that we have? Mm. Uh, and then I'm also editing and clipping and putting together content that goes, like I said, onto our platforms.
0: That you're going to, yeah, you're going to publish a little bit later on and hundred yeah. percent in the social media realm, right? Yeah. That's yeah. all you do. It's funny because, I mean, producer could mean you're the producer of the morning show. It could mean that you're, you know, the audio producer who's pushing all the buttons and getting to commercials, but...
1: And I've done all of that, actually. My career stems from a start in radio, and then I was a radio producer for six years on the local and national level. And then I went to TV, and I was a TV producer and a talent producer for nine years, and now I'm in the social world. So I kind of have my hands in a lot of different places. Now I call it multi-platform. Producer, because our show is on so many different areas between TV, radio, podcasts, and social media. Yeah, that
0: is the way it's gone, right? And I think there's a direct lesson for church leaders. It's funny, Jason, you know, you think about that, and I'm sure the light bulb's going on for at least a few listeners who are like, what? Like, social media isn't something the host does on commercial breaks. Right. Like, there's actually a guy who gets paid a salary to sit there and basically do social during the show.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and half of the job isn't just during the show. The show is on for four hours, right? We're doing a ton of content when the show is over all throughout the day. We're trying to keep the show and this will come into conversation hopefully a little bit later about how church can stay relevant when it's not having church the same way with our show, you know, our show's on from six to 10 in the morning, but we're staying relevant throughout the day and we're posting content throughout the day so people at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night are still being able to consume some of the things they've seen and heard from the show, or maybe haven't seen or heard all throughout the day.
0: And contrast that to 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when, you know, if Mike and Mike are done, they're done. 6 to 10, it's That's 10 or right. 5, you missed them. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. You know? That's exactly yeah, right. And, you know, it's funny, even at Connexus Church, where I serve, Jason, as, as you know, I'm there, and yep. I... We just kind of the light bulb went off for us a couple years ago that it's like, no, social media on a Sunday morning is a position in the same way that like bass player is a position or greeter is a position because we've been trying to do social media like staff and a few volunteers in the cracks, but you're really too busy to do it. Yeah, it requires. So we now have people who are like their job Sunday morning, their volunteers is to do social media. We have people whose job it is to walk around with a camera and like capture stuff. Then it gets uploaded to Dropbox. Then somebody else composes the tweets. Like It is a team in the same way. And that's a a fairly recent phenomena, isn't it, even in broadcast?
1: Absolutely. I mean, ESPN didn't have a real live social media team, if you will, until around 2011, 2012. I came on board doing social media in 2012. That's only four years ago, almost five years ago now, and it's really uh, a new thing still. And churches and the other organizations, I would say, are, were behind on that. You know, they all thought, okay, here or there, we'll just dabble in it. Somebody will post a picture or somebody will post a link or something like that. But it really requires strategy. It really requires um, people who have an idea of how social media works and not just somebody who can sit there and put a link on there and hit tweet or hit send. We really need strategy and we really need eyes and ears on the content and giving people an idea of what you're doing in a different way than just what you come and see on a Sunday at church or what you're here or listen to on a broadcast.
0: So how did that come about? Like, was that your idea? Was it ESPN's idea? Did you look around at what other broadcast outlets were doing and go, oh, it's time for us to to do this? Or how did that happen in 2011, 2012?
1: Well, I think it was a combination of a few things. I mean, in 2000. Eight, nine, 2009 is when social media started to kind of creep yeah. up on people. Twitter
0: came along. and
1: Yeah, I joined Twitter in 2009. So I had been on the platform for a few years. Same with Facebook. Uh, that was around 2007, 2008. Yeah, And so ESPN and other friends I've had who worked in other companies, they knew about it. They knew that it was important to have um, a handle like a sports center handle or an ESPN If you want to get handle.
0: ESPN before it's gone, right? Yeah, pretty much, pretty
1: much. Yeah. I think they got in, That's that a on, good got idea. in on that early. That's a but good idea. But they had those handles and they had those, those platforms, but they didn't really have a strategy. They didn't really have a dedicated staff working on it. It was people, I actually was working on a couple of smaller shows in 2009 and 2010, and I was kind of doing their social media on the side. As like a second job at ESPN, I wasn't getting paid for it. I was just doing it for fun because I'm like, this is important to be in this space because our fans are there. And we were just kind of posting pictures and clips and little things like that. Tune ins. Here's a guest coming up that you want to see. And right around 2011, late 2011, I think it was not myself who came up with this, but it was a few other people above me who said, we really need to kind of rally together here and put together a team that can have a strategy and produce this content. And we called it social integration, producing social media and really trying to figure out how to integrate that into our broadcast, television, radio, et cetera. So that's kind of how it got started.
0: How have you seen it? Let's talk about social. We're going to talk about a few things in this podcast. But in terms of social, where you started in 2012, which in this case is four years ago from our air date, what did you start doing? What did you have to change? And what's effective now?
1: Well, what we started doing, I mean, the simple task for me and the first job I ever had was I was asked to start NFL social media at ESPN. There was no NFL social media brand. So they asked me to start it. And when I created it and started it and talking with some of my superiors and some of my colleagues, it was very simply just start on Twitter. So in Mm -hmm. 2012, Twitter was the place and you really just wanted to grow and build Twitter as quickly as you can. And so we did that and we focused on Twitter for the first year. We also had a Facebook page, which we were using, but we weren't really putting a full length strategy into it until 2013. And then a year later, we got an Instagram page. So we were a little bit behind the eight ball each year. But that's a big job. Put
0: the NFL on social media like that. Yeah. Well, holy cow. For ESPN. Like for ESPN. The, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that you know, that's your job. Okay. That's an interesting job. By the way, I just want to say, for those of you who are extremely envious at this point of Jason, <laughs> I just want you to know envy is a sin. Okay. But that's keep right. talking. Keep talking. You need to
1: repent. Tell your you listeners. Need, yeah. Need repent, repent right, right now. now.
0: Repent right now.
1: <laughs> no. Uh, that's right. That's right. So in 2013 or 14, we, we started an Instagram page and really we were just kind of growing and growing and growing to the point where the platform was at a, at a spot where we were able to, you know, potentially make money off it and sell it, um, which is a whole nother side of things that ESPN does with our sales team. You know, obviously advertising is huge, but now it became advertising into a social space and not just the digital or a TV space. Um, and the platforms have changed, you know, uh, Twitter and Instagram today are still relevant, obviously, mm-hmm. and Facebook is by far the largest platform. There's almost 2 billion people a day, carry a that's, day yeah. that are on Facebook, 2 wow. billion with a B. So that's an insane number, and that's the largest platform, and Facebook is really the place where – if you want your content seen, that's the place to go.
0: It is. And I know a lot of leaders, if if I can interrupt, sorry, Please, we're frustrated. Okay. We're frustrated with Facebook because it's hard to get organic reach. Like, it is. have you yeah. figured out organic reach? What are your tips? And t- I know, I see your oh, face gosh. and you're like, yes, this is the conversation I'm in over and over again, all the we time. We all struggle
1: with it. If you're on that platform, Carrie, I mean, their algorithm is one that is not in order, if you will. So yeah. you're not following. Just as people are posting, you're not getting them in order. Twitter used to be that way too. You know, it's a news feed, so they bring back relevant things, what they think is relevant. Uh, tagging people's at names on Facebook when you're posting something is a way to get people to see it. But yeah. man, that organic reach is is difficult. I think you really got to rely on somebody who has a fairly large platform to see it. And then share it and then from there it kind of takes off on its own so just yeah go go ahead ahead. please please no
0: just to catch everyone up organic reach is like non-paid reach so if you're if you're just a user everything you do is organic but if you're a company like espn or your church would not be a person it would be an organization often your posts will only get seen by you know depending on the size of your reach it could be 40 people or 400 people or 4000 people but yeah. you're like well wait a minute I got 10 times the number of people who like my page but they never see my content and that's yeah. because Facebook is i we all think trying to get you to pay for content right
1: yeah i mean i'll give you an idea we had we have 3 million or maybe even close to 4 million people that like our NFL Facebook page that's a large number pretty but good our you average- win. Yeah, <laughs> well, our, there's way more on SportsCenter, so I don't win quite at work. Okay, I will say our reach is probably an average of four hundred thousand, which is still an extremely wow. large number. Good. but when you compare four hundred thousand to four million, something's not right there. And we will reach four million. And there's been posts that we've reached that have been reached to twenty million, and those are the anomalies. Those are the ones that you just don't see happen too often. So it's hard. I mean, you, you got to try and just cut through with the content. And that's the yeah. biggest thing is trying to make it as engaging, trying to make it as, as eye popping, whatever it is, picture post, you know, video is, is King right now on, on social yeah. platforms and Facebook's new Facebook live um, video player is a, is a huge thing for them. And they're, I don't want to say they're juicing the, the reach, but they are definitely taking an eye on people who are going live on Facebook. And they're making more people be able to see that content than they would say an article or even a, a YouTube link or something. Right. So they're definitely, their reach is so big. You just got to kind of hope it cuts through somehow. And, and we work on that every day and it doesn't always work. And sometimes it does. And, Honestly, Carrie, there isn't really any great reason behind
0: it. Jason, you're making a lot of us feel a lot better because this literally is a discussion we have on a regular basis at Connexus Church, and also yeah. for you know CarrieNewhoff.com and my podcast and so on. When when something hits like a reach of twenty million, all yep. right, is that like cats playing football? It's a video <laughs> of that. Like what what. what because that's a joke, right? If we all just post the you know cat what? You videos, just gave me we'd have a great
1: idea for our next video. There uh-huh. you go. Okay. So when we see
0: <laughs> NFL, like, you know, cats in NFL gear playing football. There we go.
1: There we go. Yeah. No, right. I think the kind of content that cuts through, I don't know, you know, sometimes it's just a really engaging article. Mm-hmm. And it might be this strong, opinionated piece or this deep sort of personal story of somebody that went through hardship. I, honestly, there's been moments, Carrie, where I've said, this is a piece of content that we worked on for two weeks and it reached 100,000 people, which for us is very low. But this is a piece that I just, it's a one-off. I just made it. I just threw it up there and boom, it reaches 10 million. And you're just like, I can't figure this out. I don't know why this happened. You
0: just explained blogging. Thank you. (laughs) Every blogger, it's like, I didn't even work on this piece. I was mad. I wrote it in 45 minutes and it went viral. And then the piece you polish for a week and like, oh, this is going to be great. And like, your mom doesn't even read it. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. So it's frustrating, but I think what it does is it 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 shows that we just need to keep um, posting content and getting content out there, and the more content you get, you know, the more chances you get right at hitting that virality, if you will, that you want to hit on social platforms. So So
0: when you see on the different platforms, let's stick with Facebook, but like, what is connecting with your fans right now, and what can we as church leaders, like, if there are patterns, and I, I totally appreciate what you say and. That's what I've discovered. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Like even you can't, you even need organic content because even ESPN, you know, multi, you know, hundred million dollar organization, whatever it would be, yeah. there are limits to your budget. It's not, not like you can yeah. just buy Facebook. You can't do that. So when organic and non-organic, what seems to be connecting with people?
1: Yeah, I will say this too quickly. We don't pay for any um, sponsorship posts on Facebook. We've oh, never you don't. done that. You don't do
0: paid, ad- you don't do paid posts? We not don't at promote.
1: ESPN, no. We've never done that. Nope. So it's 100%
0: so, organic.
1: 100% organic, yeah.
0: Wow, that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that, I guess, in that sense, makes it um, more challenging because yeah. you're not giving Facebook an incentive. I mean, we have relationships with them, obviously, and they understand the power of our brand being on their platforms and their brand being in our world. They understand that. And I'm not going to try and speak to the business aspect of it because i am it's way above my pay grade, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> way above it. But I will say uh, video right now, and I know I said that earlier, but really good, quick-witted, short-form video is what's cutting through right now. Yeah. And I'm talking about 30 seconds to two minutes tops. And I think that's something that cuts through. And I've actually seen that in the church world too, following a lot of churches on Facebook and even some of the stuff that we've done at the church I attend video has seemed to be the thing that's cut through quickly and and, and easily with our, our our people who like our pages. So Hmm. I think that's a great way to go. And, And with, you know, there's so many opportunities in different areas to do video. It can be original, edited video of, you know, that we do at ESPN on a topic, or it could just be a minute and a half of something that was said on one of our shows. Yeah. Either way, it's still consumable. It's snack. We call it snackable content because it's quick and it's, it's, um, you know how people's attention spans are right now. And the way that they consume content through their mobile device or their tablet, It needs to be fast because they're moving on to the next thing so quickly. And that's just the kind of age that we live in right now.
0: That's why I do one hour podcasts because it's a total foil to everything else that's going on.
1: (laughs) But podcasts are different. They are different. People consume podcasts in a different type of way. They're not 10 minute, five minute consumable pieces. They're long form, people working out, people going and mowing the lawn, listening on the ride home, listening in the car, whatever, along the train. Uh, Podcasts, and that podcast we've learned. Uh, even at ESPN, we have a ton of podcasts, and we let those things go for an hour or two. Sometimes. You do too, eh? Yeah, yeah, we do. We do because I think we understand that if the content's good, and the way that again people are consuming podcasts, they're going to stay with us and they're going to listen yep. to it.
0: And and I've also learned people putting on makeup listen to podcasts. Did you know that? I pulled I, I pulled my listeners, and I, I got like pictures. That. On Instagram and Twitter, it's like, I'm putting on my makeup. And I'm like, never would have thought of that as a guy. So to all of you who are putting on your makeup right now, I salute you.
1: I work with a lot of people that put on makeup because that's that's what they do every morning to go on to television. so so true. (laughs) Yes.
0: Uh, That's cool. Okay. So one of the the discussions that goes on in a lot of social media circles is, um, speaking of gender, just gender division between platforms. So Facebook tends to have a skew toward women, not men. Um, sports obviously has a female viewership, but probably weights toward men. Fair enough.
1: Especially
0: football, baseball, all the stuff you guys are doing has, what what is your viewership as a rule, male to female, like when you're broadcasting a game, what is that? Or, or Uh, even your talk show, do you know, is it like 70% male?
1: I think it's around 70, 30, 80, 20, believe it or not, but we get a lot more women listeners than people probably think. You know, obviously, we're on on the show I work on. We're two guys talking. You know, Mike and Mike, two guys talking sports. It's going to appeal to that thirty five to fifty four male. That's the target guy right there. Maybe twenty five to fifty four male. But we do have a lot of females, and we have to remember that when they're listening, that sports is sports, and just go to a game, and you can see there are a ton of female sports fans out there. So we need to be aware of that. And uh, just today on one of the shows we did, we had. A female co host filling in for one of the mics. So we recognize that and we understand that that's an audience that we have to pay attention to, but definitely it skews about 70, 30, maybe 80, 20 men. And so, where
0: I was going with that, because sports is so, um, tends to be more male than female in terms of audience, even skewed a little bit, Facebook tends to be more female than male. How are you engaging men on Facebook? Because this is an art, not an argument, but a discussion that I have with a lot of leaders. It's like, we don't know how to get men on Facebook. My dominant audience on Facebook for my blog is men between 25 and 34. I just Mm -hmm. know that from Facebook Insights. So, I mean, we've seen it happen. I have a lot of female listeners, a a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, female readers as well. But how are you engaging men on social media?
1: Well, with with ESPN, I think because if you're following ESPN's social platforms, even if there are more females consuming content on Facebook than males, the people that are consuming ESPN on Facebook is still predominantly male. And right. it's still predominantly a large audience. So I don't think that we're like targeting a specific way to reach a male or a female on different gotcha. platforms. I think we're just, just posting. We're, you're content. just
0: talking football. And so yeah, the guys find you. Yeah, we're talking
1: football and the guys are going to be there and, and certainly the women there too. So I don't think it's really aimed specifically at at a gender gotcha. type. Or even a specific audience.
0: Well, and I just want to say, just to clarify that, because this can be a you know sensitive conversation. Sure. One of the very real issues that church leaders have is trying to engage men. Women are just right. more spiritually curious. Women are more spiritually, uh, I think, open than men right. are, and they want to talk about it a lot more. And so, one of the things leaders consistently struggle with is how do you, you know, engage men on social. So that's that's helpful. And obviously, you're you're having a conversation that men want to be a part of.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And I think so. It's a little different, I I guess, from church perspective. uh, It's different in the sense that you're trying to really just, I don't know, cut through. I always say good content is going to cut through no matter who it is Mm. um, and what audience you're reaching. So if it's content and it's good content and it's hard to define because it's such a generic term. But if it's a piece of content that's going to cut through, if it's a strong story from, you know, a pastor at a church sharing or something, or even somebody in the church who has a great testimony they want to share, we would hope that that would cut through to whoever's on those platforms and not just a specific female or male gender type.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And story is extremely powerful. It really is. Extremely
1: powerful. And that usually wins. Story usually wins. Great stories, that's kind of along the lines of content. The great stories are what's going to cut through no matter what platform. So is
0: that like the play of the game, like top 10 catches of the week? Or is that more like, Hey, we talked to the, you know, the wide receiver after the game and this is what he had to say.
1: There's a variety of ways you can talk about story. I mean, you talk about interviews, certainly after a game, you can talk about a play because the play will tell the story. A guy makes an amazing catch or, um, you know, has this great clutch moment in a game or whatever. But it could be a real long-form story as well. I read a, an article yesterday, and it took me a half hour to read, and it was wow. about this NFL player who had been former NFL player who is now in jail uh, on, I think, life sentence for murder. And it was a whole long-form, you know, extremely in-depth piece about the struggles that he's gone through post-NFL in jail, How his family's dealing with it, his brother. And it was through the eyes of his brother that this story was written. And I read that whole thing, and that was 30 minutes, but I saw it on Twitter. Then I saw it again on Facebook. I shared it on my Facebook page, and I said, That is a story. Like, that is a, I felt like I just read three chapters of a book. It was so long, but it was incredibly powerful. And so I think story is a story can be a variety of different ways. You know, I think when you get to a person's core, and you tell that human interest story that's the one that really cuts through the most when you can get into a person's soul and try to understand where they're coming from, what they're trying to say uh, what kind of background they have talk about their off the field you know uh, endeavors their being a father, you know being a husband yeah. charitable work those things cut through as well so
0: that's good to know. Tell more yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah, that's what we keep saying on our social media platform. So Jason, you're a Christian. You're yes. involved at a local church in Connecticut. I think you're an elder. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. At your church? Not a yes. mega church, just a very average-sized church, what, 300 on the weekend or something?
1: About that, Yep, 300 yep. people or so.
0: Yeah, which is amazing. Um, but you, you show up in an environment um, as a Christian every day. And I know we've got marketplace leaders like you, whose primary occupation is not ministry, but Correct. they they serve in the marketplace during the week. They love Jesus. They participate in the life of their church. Um, talk a little bit about your faith at work. What uh, how, how is that working, particularly in a really interesting environment like ESPN?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, when I first started at ESPN, I was not a Christian, this okay. was 2000. Uh, I became a Christian at 28 years old in 2001 or 27 years old in 2001. So I remember what it was like, you know, because that was always my dream was just to be in broadcasting and really not ever dreaming ESPN. But thankfully it happened. But when I got to ESPN, uh, you know, I remember thinking, wow, this is, you know, quite the environment to be around, quite the the place yeah. You're in
0: Sports Center, literally. You're
1: in the world. You're in if- the Mecca of where all sports is. And I was definitely in awe of it. I was definitely um, intimidated many ways yeah. at first when I got there. When I became a Christian, you know, it took me a couple of years to really understand the decision that I had made and to really kind of get deeply planted in the church and, and understand what it meant to follow Christ. So,
0: how, how did that happen? How did you become a Christian?
1: I became a Christian because of my brother. I have two younger brothers. Uh, I grew up Catholic. Uh, I went to church, but I didn't really understand. Uh, I went kind of on weekends with my grandfather every once a month or something. I would go on Christmas and Easter, but I didn't really have a relationship or understand what Christ had done on the cross and what that meant. Um, So my brother, I have two younger brothers, my brother and middle brother, Chris, who is now a pastor Mm -hmm. uh, in New York but he was the first one in our family to accept Christ into his heart and to understand what it meant to become a Christian. And so we watched this walk that he had for a couple of years. At first we thought he was a little nuts. Mm He was a little crazy. And we were kind of like, okay, that's great for him, but not for us. And then slowly, but surely after kind of talking to him a little bit more, and then actually going to church with him on mother's day, 2001, uh, I could feel a softening of the heart. I could feel kind of a, just a moment where I kind of looked at him and I said, you know, that service wasn't that bad. And that was the second time I had ever gone to his church. And when he heard that, he felt the spirit telling him, I need to tell my brother about Christ right now. And he brought me into his room and we sat down and he shared the gospel with me for about 20 minutes. And I accepted Christ that day right there. Uh, It was pretty awesome. It was really cool. But again, it was so new and it was so I mean, you talk about you know spiritual milk as infants and things like that. I was brand new; like I didn't right. really understand even what I had I uh, the decision I had made. I just knew it was the right decision. And then he walked with me for a few years, and certainly with a few other people in my life, and we just uh, we just figured this thing out together. And yeah, that's how I became a believer um, in two thousand one. So it's that's a pretty great story. Powerful. Yeah, it was. It's pretty cool because. I know the statistics out there when you get into your 20s and you're not walking with the Lord, it's very hard, uh, or they're very low, I should say, for people turning over their lives and changing spiritually like that.
0: We see it all the time, it connects but you're right. It's the outliers. It's the outliers. It is. And I'm
1: thankful for him. I tell him all that. I'll tell him that all the time, how grateful I am to him, because if it wasn't for him, just. And every, all of us who are Christians and believers have that moment usually where somebody just said, I got to tell that person about Christ. And that was it for me.
0: Mm, so Powerful. So a year later, yeah. you're at ESPN I'm at and ESPN, you're trying to figure this out.
1: Trying to figure this whole thing out. And so the first few years at ESPN, I really didn't talk about my faith much. I really didn't um, tell a lot of people that I was Christian. I didn't deny it or anything. I just kind of did my job and I was there and that was it. And somewhere around 2009 or so, I remember telling someone at work who's a Christian, I really feel like God is calling me somewhere else. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I want to do more for Jesus. And I'm at ESPN. And I feel like maybe I should be working in some kind of nonprofit or some kind of uh, church setting or something. And that person looked at me and just said, you're nuts. And I said, what do you mean? (laughs) And they said, well, this has always been your dream. I said, right. But I said, if God is calling you, you feel like you have to respond to that call, right? So she says to me, no, you don't get it. This is where you're supposed to be. Think about all the people here that you can influence and impact for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And when she said that, my eyes just opened. I I felt the light bulb blinking over my head. Like "This This makes complete sense. And so really since that day, and that was right around the time when social media started to come into play. Yeah. So between social media and using that platform as a chance to share my faith, it really just kind of focused uh, and, and, and gave me a focus, I should say, on just being a light wherever I am at work. And obviously, I'm not walking around at ESPN with a Bible, you know, raising it up and telling people to repent right now. Like, I can't do that. I was right. hired by ESPN to be a person, uh, because of my faith, I was hired at ESPN because of my producer talents and they gave me a job and I have to do that job to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. But there is zero reason why I can't be a man of integrity. I can't be a person who loves others and serves others. I can't be a person who just walks with, you know, and I'm certainly, I try to be different there. I try not to, you know, curse. That's just my personal thing. It's not, I'm not saying people Mm -hmm. who are Christians can't curse, but that's just my thing. I try to be a light, but I try to be uh, obedient to what Christ is calling me to do. And honestly, I also have to be good at my job because I believe that that brings glory to God. I mean, Colossians three says whatever you do, do for the glory of God and not for man. That's what I try to do. So I've really just tried to go in there and do a good job and be as positive and be as much of a light as I can in the workplace. That's been probably the best. Example that I can be of a Christian in the workplace.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, and I think you're so right. Sometimes we want to tell people, but they're looking at our lives; they're not looking at what we say. And it's like, yeah, are you the best producer? Like, you know, if you're if you're a great producer, people are going to respect you automatically and give your words and your life more weight.
1: Correct. And I think the more you talk to people and build relationships with them, uh, that opens doors as well. And you know, I can think of a couple people who I built I built relationships with. During my time here, and you know, just in talking to them, you're curious about other people and how they live, right? So you start talking and asking questions. What's, what do you do? What's your church life like? How's it, how's it, how are you raising your family? How are you raising your kids? How is, how is it walking with your wife? What is this? And I remember talking to a few people and telling them about our small group, our home groups that we have in our church. Yeah. Um, I remember talking to them about some of the ways that we're raising my daughter. And they were curious, and that opened up doors to have conversations outside of the workplace, which in essence led them to wanting to learn more and come into church and really growing in their relationship. So it's been, uh, you know, certainly a, a great opportunity to talk about things like that with people. But it really starts with relationships, Karen.
0: Yeah, no, that's so well said, and and I think the whole integrity piece is huge. I mean, if it's people don't gigantic. respect you, they are not going to respect your faith.
1: Correct. Yeah, and if I walk around. Um, you know, just being a complete jerk to people and all that? Like, wh- how can I then expect them to listen to me if I want to talk about real things in life, like my passion of faith and, and people? And just how can I expect them to listen to me if I'm being a complete jerk about it?
0: Without saying too much that, you know, would embarrass colleagues or, or whatever, do you find it's easy to be a Christian at work or sometimes it's hard? Or, or what? what are you discovering in that respect?
1: I think originally I thought it was very difficult you know, I go back six, seven, eight years. I used to think uh, it was very difficult. I don't know why. It's just something I felt like was was hard to do. I think one of the uh, the biggest struggles in every church is people sharing their faith with other people that aren't Christians. I think that's a tremendous battle that we all go through. And so I battled that. And that's kind of where my thinking was when I was talking about how I struggled with whether I should be at ESPN or not. Yeah. And I knew after that that day that I should be there as long as God wants me there and I should do the best job I can. But now I think it's maybe a maturity, maybe being in my forties, I'm a little less concerned about what people think. I certainly respect Mm -hmm. them. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to walk around my, my job just, you know, preaching the gospel to everybody with the Bible in my hand. But at the same time, I'm not really as concerned about what people think anymore in the sense of, certainly my social media platform and things like that on Twitter. I post a Bible verse every morning on Twitter, and that's been something I've done for about seven years now. And it's the first thing I do every morning. It's the first post I put up every morning. And I know that a large amount of people follow me because I work at ESPN. And so I recognize the idea that I can reach a lot of people who don't maybe have a relationship with Christ or aren't as strong in their faith, through my social platforms because of the fact of where I work. So I've tried to take advantage of that.
0: For a behind-the-scenes personality, you have a ton of Twitter followers, don't you? Isn't it like over 20,000 or something?
1: Yeah, it is. I'm embarrassed to even say that, but yes, it's about 23,000, I think, or so. Yeah,
0: that's a lot of followers, man. And for a non-public figure, that's that's quite amazing. And so you see that as a way to witness. Let me ask you, and again, without betraying any confidences or saying anything you don't want to, but... Um, you know, a lot of athletes who are Christians will say things like, you know, thank you to Jesus that we've won this game or whatever. What What is the reaction behind the scenes on, you know, a TV set or a radio set when that happens? Do you find that Christians really increase their credibility that way or do they get laughed at? How does that work out?
1: I think it depends on the authenticity of the person uh, mm-hmm. saying it too. Uh, I think they're our people, and again, I, I can't be the judgment of people's faith no. or what their thoughts are, but I think when people say it, sometimes they just say it to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are others who say it, and you can genuinely tell that they mean it. I think of Tony Dungy when he won the Super Bowl in 2007 with the Indianapolis Colts. Yes. He was the first black uh, head coach to ever win a Super Bowl, but he was also the first real outgoing Christian, if I'm not mistaken that had a platform like that, They used that platform to share his faith on a national stage. And he mentioned something to the effect of, I I think we did it God's way, or I'm just so thankful to God for what we were able to achieve. And he really took advantage and understood that 100 million people were watching at Mm. that exact moment when he was on that stage, and he took advantage of it. So I think, how is it viewed? I mean, I think, you know, they cover sports. So I think they definitely try to stay away from Skewing left or right or up or down or or mm-hmm. for any faith, I think they really it's just about the people and their stories. You know we've done stories on people who are Jewish. We've done stories with people who are Muslim. We've done stories on people who are atheists, and we've done stories on people who are Christian. And I think what they just try to do is tell the best story. And you know i don't I don't hear a lot of you know rumblings behind the scenes or any kind of negativity yeah. from anybody. I think that they just want to tell the best story that fits on their broadcast and they really don't. I hope they don't pay attention to a person's, you know, religion or race or ethnicity or anything right. like that. They just want the best story and the best uh, the best news that they can put out there.
0: Well, and I think you raise a really good point too. Tony Dungy is a great example. He's somebody I think whose life is generally held up to that kind of scrutiny, and people look at him and go, "Wow, you are behind the scenes who you say you are publicly." And I think there's yes. a lot of respect for him, so that story resonates. Whereas, you know, if my lifestyle's all sideways and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, then, you know,
1: yeah, you can exactly.
0: endure some scorn and snickers.
1: Yeah. And those exist. And you just try to, you know, from a personal perspective, if I see that, I just kind of like, you know, get bummed a little bit because they may not be living the life that they're promoting or preaching on their platforms or in interviews. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ones who are authentic, you know, people like Tim Tebow, who transcend sports a little bit, I mean, those guys are the real deal. And I think that's why people might kind of make fun of him a little bit, uh, for being so open about his faith. But when you meet him, you walk away and you're just like, man, that guy's legit. That guy is Mm. the real deal. And then I think the respect factor and the integrity factor comes in when you find these people and you meet them and they're authentic and they are exactly who they appear to be. And that's refreshing. When I meet somebody who I know is maybe a believer and they're, you have a large platform and they put you know, whether it's Bible verses or they talk about Christ on their on their pages, then you meet them and they're the same person. That's mm. awesome. And I, yeah. I love that. And I think most people will respect that, even if they don't agree or, or follow your faith or this, any kind of the beliefs that you have, they will respect you if you're the same person that you are in these sort of social platforms when they meet you in person.
0: That's so true. Wanna, yeah. you know Just in in while I still got you, a couple more questions. Yeah. You're involved in your local church, so... One of the tensions I think a lot of church leaders who work at the church feel is I don't know that we always do the best job of engaging what I call high capacity leaders. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. you have a big influence in your day job and, and all that. You do serve as an elder at your local church, but um, yes. what are your thoughts on that? Um, what are some of the best ways you've found for church staff to actually engage leaders like you who might attend their church?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, whether you're a small or a big church, one of the things I think about is, and, and church is not a business in the sense of what it is, but I think if you're trying to run a church structure, it's very similar, and in some ways it is, a business. Sure. So you need to have high-performing people doing the work. You need to have people of integrity. You need to have people who um, know what they're doing when you put them in certain ministries or have put them in certain forms of leadership. So you want to engage these high performers. Um, You know, we have people who go to our church that work at ESPN. It's not just me. We have probably 14 or 15 people, and they all have various talents in whatever they do. So we want to make sure we engage in them and take advantage of those talents if their heart is in the place to want to serve in the church and say, hey, you know this. You know how to do that. You could help here, and you could bring glory to God through that same thing. How cool would that be? And then Mm -hmm. I think you reach out to them and you talk to them and you say, this is an opportunity for you to take the talents that you have and bring glory to God through using them at the church. So that's kind of what our thinking is. I I, I mean, when I first, yeah, when I first got to the church, I attend it's called Hillside in Bristol, Connecticut. I was not obviously a church leader or an elder I never actually even thought I'd ever be a church leader or an elder, Mm -hmm. to be honest with you. But when I got there, I knew okay, my talents were from the media, radio, TV side of things. I certainly knew sports, and so we started a basketball league called Upward Basketball. I don't know if oh, they yeah. have that in Canada. Yeah. Yep. So we started an Upward Basketball league around 2006, and the second we started that league, and my pastor told me about it, I'm like, "Ding ding ding, sweet spot! You know, this is sports, mm. this is basketball, and this is a way to serve in the church." So I took what I think my talents are, which are production. You know, I was broadcasting a little bit. I had a microphone, and we announced the kids' names when they'd score baskets, and it was a big deal for that eight- and nine-year-old kid to hear their name on on a speaker when they score. And we put together this league, which I have experience with just from playing and being around sports so much, and we made this league a really great league. And it's 12 years going, and it's still going strong, and it's great, great outreach to the church, and it's a great way to bring people who are in the community and not attending a church into a relationship with Christ and into our building, into our church. Obviously, our goal is not to just bring more people into the church we want to bring them into a relationship with Christ and lead them that way. But man, this league and, and, and any of the ministries and outreaches that we do are great ways to do that. It's a matter of tapping into the right people who have the right talents and sort of merging that all together.
0: That's cool. Jason, anything else you want to share with our listeners or leaders?
1: I think I just want to encourage people to, especially leaders, leaders that aren't in a church world uh, full time, a lot of volunteers, like you said, I want to just encourage them to be open about your faith, be strong in your faith and don't be ashamed of what you believe. I know it's hard talking to people uh, about your faith, especially people who maybe don't even want to hear about it, but man, put your faith in God and pray and press into him because It's an amazing opportunity that you have wherever you work and serve to be able to be a light there and do the best job that you can. Be the greatest whatever you are that you can be, because when people see that, that's going to open up opportunities for you to build relationships and then to eventually share your faith with them.
0: That's so good. Jason, this is a lot of fun, and people can find you on social media. Where can they connect with you online?
1: Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at Jason Romano. Uh, My website is jasonromano22.com. I'm also building my Facebook page up. I'm on Instagram, Jason Romano as well. So yeah, I'm all all those places. I'm even on Snapchat. Cool. I'm like an old guy on Snapchat. I'm one of those old guys on Snapchat. Still like trying to figure it out.
0: 20 snaps, that's it. Yeah, yeah that's it.
1: exactly. But I'm, uh, yeah, I'm all over the place. Pretty easy to find me.
0: Great. Well, I'll tell you what. If you're a leader, why don't you say thank you? Why don't you shout out to Jason today? Follow him on Twitter. That's where we primarily connect is via Twitter. Yes. Or wherever, whatever platform, and just say thanks for today. And thank you for all you're doing. This was a lot of fun. Jason, so appreciate you.
1: Terry, I thank you, man. This has been an honor. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, that was a great conversation with Jason Romano. Uh, and and again, Jason, if you if you skip the intro or missed it or whatever, Jason is no longer at ESPN. He is going into full-time pastoring of a church, which which I think is incredible. So, Jason, way to go. We're on your side. We're cheering for you. If you want more, just go to the show notes. Carrienewhoff.com/slash episode 129. Thank you so much to Trained Up and Rethink Leadership who have helped bring you this podcast. And I really do thank our partners. And thank you to all of you who, um, you know, click and, and who decide to help out. I'm very selective about who gets on this podcast as a partner, but as you can imagine, as it's grown, We have some costs and they really help make sure that you get this content for free week after week after week. And again, it's a free subscription. So if you subscribe on whatever your favorite podcast platform is, we will be back next Tuesday. Plus, subscribers get all the bonus episodes automatically too. And we're going to be doing a couple in the next little while too. And Ask Carrie and also uh, something else I'm thinking about. So anyway, hey, we are back next week with a fresh episode. Let me tell you what's coming up. We have got next week... Scott Sauls, and Scott's been on the podcast before, but he is back with some insights that are really great on cultivating true friendships in a lonely culture and he's also got some some really helpful thoughts on what it was like to work for five years with Tim Keller in New York City. I got to ask him about that. Kyle Eidelman, Greg Atkinson are coming up and a lot of other incredible leaders. So I'm super excited about that. Again, if you subscribe, you get it for free. And we're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being you. Thanks for being awesome. And I do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before.